You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, and I'm joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As we enter opening week of the NBA season, it was a long preseason, but the Bucks will open their season in Houston on Thursday night. Before I get to that, today's episode is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. Now, Frank, I was actually trying to look up who tweeted to ask about the over and unders uh, the other day, but we did sort of cross this with Eric and he gave us a... I'd say somewhat of a semi-blessing to go ahead with this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe it was a bit of an indifferent response, I would say. But uh, we are going to go ahead with this. But how are you doing? How was your weekend? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I told Eric, like, as long as he doesn't have a podcast for me to come on and, and talk to him about over-unders with, you know, I'm going to feel not guilty at all about doing it with you. So um, so looking forward to kind of doing the thing that we always do. Um I had uh, I had a very good weekend with one sports exception. Um, uh, so, if you're a Wisconsin sports fan, you know I'm sure many people listening here are, and probably many are pretty indifferent. You know, kind of people who just are Bucks fans, and and maybe not from Wisconsin. But the Wisconsin Badgers football team had one of the like worst losses in their like program history, just in terms of like I think they were 30 point favorites and they lost to Illinois on Saturday. So that was a bummer. Um, but again, I'm not, I didn't go to Madison, so I'm, I'm, I'm more of like a kind of casual, I watch the games, but I'm not, you know, living and dying with it. So that was really sad because Wisconsin was sixth ranked in the country. But other than that, pretty much all my, my teams did well. Um, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers on Sunday, destroying uh, the, the Oakland Raiders, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders, I guess. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looking awesome. Uh, we had the Houston Astros, who I, that's my American League team now because I'm always from Houston, and they were playing the Yankees, who of course everybody hates the Yankees, myself included. I you know lived for Boston a long time, and, um, and the one thing you pick up in Boston, even if you don't love Boston sports, and I do not love Boston sports, you can't help but pick up on hating the Yankees. So <laughs> watching the Yankees get eliminated uh, on a walk-off home run was was a lot of fun on Saturday. Um, I'm a soccer fan. I, I follow Barcelona. They played. They won. They looked good on Saturday. I woke up at. 6am with my daughter and was like watching on my phone while she watched Sesame Street. So it wasn't, wasn't as bad getting up really early in the morning because I had a soccer game to watch. Um, and my dad went to Penn State and Penn State beat Michigan on Saturday night too. So that was good. But most importantly, um, I had a really good day at the zoo with my daughter today. That was fun. Her first time uh, going with me to the zoo. We don't have a nice. particularly good zoo in Austin. Um, 
So, you know, but it, they, had, they had lions and tigers. So that was, you know, it's, it's like legit enough. Yeah. Uh, it's like a rescue rehabilitation zoo. So it's like, you got to respect it because they're not just, you know, brick, you know, s- stealing animals from uh, wherever, you know, the outback or something and, and throwing them in cages <laughs> in, uh, in Texas. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a nice fun day, you know, um, made a day of it. And um, I'm excited for, for basketball to get started pretty soon. And uh, obviously over-unders is a, uh, that's that's like the big thing we do. Actually, I did want to ask you that before we get into it. Um, the phenomenon going on uh, down under, uh, other than all the manscaping going on down in Australia <laughs> right now, um, the thing that probably is is even of some interest to uh, North American basketball fans is uh, Lamelo Ball, uh, the youngest of the Ball brothers, perhaps the most highly touted we'll see i guess uh lonzo being the number two overall pick a couple years ago obviously is a high bar but he is playing in australia this year uh kind of in that gap year before he's eligible to uh go into the nba draft and uh you covered uh lamello playing in melbourne uh, i guess over the weekend and it sounded like it was like kind of a like a big deal and there's been a big kind of to do about it was that was it fun was it electric was it you know very different, I'm guessing, from normal Australian basketball atmospheres. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really fun. So he's playing for the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL in Australia, and Illawarra is a small coastal town uh, north of Sydney. So it's, I, I guess, it would the best way to explain it would be that he's playing in a, a really small gym in front for for a team that generally. They get some locals in there, but the locals are more interested in surfing and hanging out at the beach than they are basketball. So the fact that he's playing for this town is is kind of unique. But when he does travel or when the team does travel to a city like Melbourne, and this was his first visit to Melbourne for the season, uh, there's two teams in Melbourne in, in the NBL. It was a it was a really, really big deal. And and the team they played, South East Melbourne, is an expansion franchise, only just started this season. They were only in their third game of the competition. So they've been building crowds. And uh, I went to their game last week as well, and they got just over 6,000, I think, to the game. And there's the arena that they play in holds 10,500. Uh, so it's not huge, but... Uh, 6,000, yeah, just over half full. And then on Saturday night when Lamello came to town, it was a complete sellout. And uh, I was even shocked to see how many Lamello ball jerseys were at the arena. Must be these lifelong Illawarra Hawks fans traveled down to Melbourne for the game. But uh, it was fun. And and he's pretty impressive. Um, Obviously only 18 years old and generally... We've seen this before. We had Terrence Ferguson come down and play for Adelaide a couple of years ago. Didn't play a lot. And I, I think that's kind of the standard when you get a, a teenager choose to play sort of pro ball over college. Generally, they find it tough to crack into the rotation. The Hawks aren't. They have a weird sort of mix of young and, and older guys. So Lamelo gets a really big chance to play. He played 32 minutes and he made some mistakes. And defensively, he's got a bit of work to do. But... Uh, He's definitely got some moves with the ball in his hand. He was he was exciting to watch. Is he like like how would you sort of describe his game? I mean, Lonzo obviously was never kind of touted to be like a huge scorer from his UCLA days and then entering the NBA, but just being like a great playmaker, defender, just like a team team basketball player. I mean, where is Lamelo on this? Like, I feel like 
what I've heard of him is he's more of a scorer, you know, I mean, in high school shooting half court shots and stuff like that. Like what's, is there like a comp for him that you've heard or or what is his game? Like, I mean, he's pretty big. Like is is he Lonzo sized at this point or I I don't know. I mean, I I think he's big for a point guard, at least tall, but um, I'm not sure if I know that much about how his game kind of stacks up. Yeah. It's interesting because I, that was obviously the first time that I've seen him live as well. And I, that was kind of the impression I had that he was going to be uh, looking to score uh, a little bit more. But on Saturday night, he only took sort of six or seven shots and he really was looking for the pass first. But uh, he already had the ability, even uh, he, was, he started at point guard, but uh, he already had the ability to, to get to penetrate into the paint, get to the basket really easily and set up, set up guys for, for open looks. So he, he, He's a nice passer. He makes smart passes. That was probably the thing that I was impressed the most. He didn't really make any stupid mistakes, which I think um, is is something that uh, you know you would expect from an eighteen year old playing professional ball. But his shot looks good. He hit a three. Uh, so I think in in terms of direct comparison to to Lonzo, I think that he will eventually be more of a scorer. But he certainly can make make the right pass as well. He's six foot six as a point guard, so he is big, and he certainly didn't look out of place playing. Uh, against other pros in, in that game. All right, we've uh, I've derailed us enough with talk of zoos and lamello balls. <laughs> um, let's get to the over unders, or in this case, the over slash down under podcast. Um, I like it. <laughs> where uh, should we start with some 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 raw stats? Some for the for the for our old school raw stat uh stuff should we start with some point per game over unders as as i mean we always have some of these in here but um i think we've got a few that uh that you know are are pretty intuitive ones to think about yeah yeah let's go into it i i think if you want to start at the top we can we can go with Giannis. i guess now it's interesting with Giannis. so i i've got 27.5 here points per game with Giannis and he averaged 27.7 last year. We know that his points per game have gone up every single season. So maybe the 27.5 is a little low, but how do you sit with that as a, as a, as a number for Giannis? Yeah. I mean, so my general, um, my general philosophy, I think I've mentioned previously is, you know, when it comes to improvement um, and Giannis improvement specifically, uh, I, I never feel like it makes sense to bet against him. Um, and I said the same thing last year when we said, you know, he was coming off a 26.9 per game average year before. And we, I think we put it up at that, right? We said, is he going to average more or, or fewer points per game playing in bud? We, you know, and, and it was interesting last year because we were, you know, it was, it was a new coach, new system. We assumed he was going to be playing a few minutes fewer per game. So we were kind of trying to weigh like, well, we think the offense is, going to be better because you're going from, you know, Jason Kidd and Joe Parenti to Mike Budenholzer. Um, but he's not going to play 36, 37 minutes per game, most likely. And we didn't know exactly where that would, that would end up. He ended up at 32.8 minutes per game last year. I would imagine he'll be in the ballpark of that again this year. You know, if he was 34, wouldn't surprise me. If he was 32, wouldn't surprise me. Again, I'd be shocked if he was like at 31, like that just would seem surprising to me unless, you know, he has more consistent injury issues than, than he's had in previous years. So, um, you know, you look at sort of his, uh, his per minute averages in particular, they went up, um, a lot, right. Even if his raw average only went up by 0.8 points per game last year, uh, you look at per 36, 
17-18 season, the average is 26.3. Last year, 30.4 points per 36 minutes. And I think the, the best reason to go over here is that, you know, in terms of two-point percentage, I mean, he shot 64% last year. Like, it's really hard to do better than that. Um, but if you're talking about anybody who can continue to play at that high of a level or potentially improve, I think it's Giannis. I don't think there's anything about the Buck system that you would say, well, you know, they're not going to be able to get him, you know, really high percentage looks at twos. Um, again, you know, certainly nothing in the preseason has suggested that he's, he's missing anything uh, or that he's lost anything from last year. And I think the two obvious areas that, you know, could improve that you would hope have upside rather than downside. And that would, you know, tend to increase his efficiency further and increase the likelihood that he scores more this year are, you know, 25.6 points per game or, 25.6% from three last year. That was the worst shooting percentage year since his second season in the league started the year really poorly, but later in the year shot much better shot 33% from three on four attempts per game in the playoffs. So, you know, I think again, there's a very good chance that he'll, you know, again, knock on wood that he could break 30% from three. And then I think, you know, I talk a lot about free throw percentage and how, um, you know, my um, emotional uh, state is impacted by Giannis's, free throw shooting two years prior to last year, 77% and 76% last year, 72.9%. You know, again, I don't, I don't know why it got worse. I think a lot of it's just, I mean, to be honest, mental with free throw shooting. Um, I don't think there's any reason like form wise that he can't hit 75 to 77% again. Um, But you know, when you shoot 10 free throws per game, um, every, you know, percent is, is a point is, you know, is a, is a 10th of a point in terms of your scoring average. So I think those things tend to push him up. And then I think the other big thing, which will be a theme on some of these other guys too, is, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's gone and you've replaced him with guys who I think will score, you know, again, at a lower rate, uh, than, than what Malcolm did. So I think that means that your primary scoring options have to pick up the slack. They're naturally going to get, you know, maybe a shot more, a couple shots more per game. And as a result, I think those guys are going to tend to uh, maybe score a little bit more, even if their efficiency doesn't change on top of that. So I think that flows down to Giannis, Chris, and, and Eric Bledsoe as well. So I'm, I'm taking a, a very confident over here. And again, it's not that Giannis needs to score 28 to 30 points per game to you know lead the Bucs to the East, uh, the best record in the league or the best record in the East or something like that. But um, certainly yeah, this offense is built around Giannis and he has to score a lot. And, you know, from what we've seen, we expect that to, to certainly happen. Yeah, I think for sure. You, you touched on it right at the top. Uh, my fallback is always, when in doubt, back Giannis in. <laughs> and I, I don't really have any reason to think that his scoring average is going to drop. Uh, I I think the key point, as you mentioned, that for his minutes, I, I don't see a way that they're going to drop any any lower than what they were last year and I was just looking at the the scoring leaders for last season Giannis's 32.8 minutes per game for his 27.7 points third uh, in the league for a scoring average you have to go all the way down to number 19 uh, Julius Randle at 21.4 points per game he to find a player that played less minutes per game than Giannis. So that's how efficient he was compared to the other top scorers in the league. I think that, as you said, it's going to come down to those those key factors, obviously the three-point and free throw. But I don't see the two-point percentage dropping that far either. I certainly probably don't see it dropping under 60% because 
Uh, I think that rise from 55 to 64 had a lot to do with, obviously, Giannis's improvement and how dominant he is. But obviously, it was uh, also played a big part, the guys that he had around him. And I, I don't see uh, that the spacing has changed or that the focus of the defense, uh, the opposition defense, is going to change that greatly, that Giannis isn't still going to be able to get where he wants to go. So, uh, like I said, when in doubt, back Giannis in. And uh, I would expect that, again, he's probably going to see that, uh, that scoring total, total rise. Uh, Chris Middleton, you have him next. Uh, you had him pegged at 19 and a half, uh, and we were actually DMing with Eric the other day. Um, I think it's now a couple years in a row, I want to say, that, that we've talked about Chris and his scoring. Um, I went, I was way off last year. I had him averaging over 20. I think, I think Eric may have put him at like 21 or even 22 or something like that. And I got just like drunk on my Middleton (laughs) Kool-Aid. And I think I said he was an average in the low twenties. And obviously he was impacted the most probably by the effect of the fewer minutes. Um, And by the way, Kane, I'm not going to give you a, a honeymoon phase here fewer minutes not less minutes you know Eric, <laughs> you Eric, already touched on that as well so. Eric, Eric name bad influence on you everybody yeah, if you if is. it's something you can count fewer if it's just like a blob of something then less anyway um yeah Chris <laughs> Chris last year averages 18.3 um but as people may recall he actually averaged more points per minute last year than he did the year before but his obviously his minutes went down um I think he played what like six fewer minutes per game or something like that um so even though he went per 36 minutes from 19.9 to 21.2 points, 21.2 points per game, uh, you know, just getting rested more, yeah, from 36.4 to 31.1 minutes per game, uh, yeah, that has an impact. And I think it tended to understate just, you know, how good of a season he had, you know, 4.3 assists per game last year after averaging four the year before, 6.0 rebounds after averaging 5.2 the prior year. Uh, you know, you look up the th- per 36 21 7 and 5 per 36 minutes and you know it's kind of those things if bud was only concerned with making chris middleton look good to casual fans who over index on kind of raw you know raw points per game and rebounds and assists he could play him 35 36 minutes and and probably have him put up like a really nice all-around stat line like that and you know people would be like oh he's an all-star and blah, blah blah but the reality is you know yeah for what the bucks are trying to do you probably don't want to play him tons of minutes and wear him out in the regular season. So uh, I think for him, I think the big thing, uh, I think the Brogdon effect is going to be really interesting um, because we saw a bit of it during the, um, during the preseason as well. It seemed like Bud was really consciously trying to stagger Giannis and Chris so that you never had periods where at least one of them wasn't on the court, you know, during kind of the regular run of play. Um, And obviously during blowouts, sure, they'll both sit. But I think that's something that, for, first off, I mean, if I'm, if I'm coaching the Bucks and I obviously know, you know, 1% as much about coaching basketball as, as, as Mike Poonholzer, but one obvious thing to me would be, yeah, always have one of those guys on the court because Chris was really good when Giannis was sitting last year. Um, I think we've talked about it. His, like, per 36 numbers jumped to, like, 27% on, I want to say, like, 60% true shooting or something when Giannis was off the court. So, Again, that's, you know, when Giannis is off the court, obviously that's not, you know, to start games or to start third quarters. It's not in crunch time typically. But against second units, Chris did really well. And that's where a lot of those, like, ISO, you know, those big ISO numbers that he had last year kind of came in. Um, 
And again, is that something you can rely on from the playoffs to him to create offense against great defenders? Okay, maybe not, right? But during the regular season, and this is a regular season over-under, I think it is something that um, is probably going to lead him to have a, you know, a higher usage rate this year uh, than in previous years. I think, um, you know, my guess is this would be another career year in terms of usage, which he's had uh, career highs in usage use of the past two years. Uh, so I, I don't think there'd be any reason to expect that to, to go down this year. So I, I would say, I, I, again, and this is me perhaps always saying this, but I think this is a great opportunity for Middleton to, to crack back over the 20 point per game mark. And again, the minutes per game issue is going to challenge that. But I think Brogdon not playing, you're not going to see those lineups where Brogdon was out there with his kind of like a bench unit having to create offense on his own. I think Chris is going to have to pick up some of that slack just by default. And I think that means that, that Chris is, again, going to take more shots. And, you know, again, he had obviously overall a, you know, reasonably efficient year last year. Wasn't it? great it actually dropped from about 58 percent true shooting to 56 percent last year so a lot of that even though he shot really well on pull-up threes um his spot up three-point shooting was actually down last year and obviously i think you hope that kind of ticks back up to to kind of career averages and if that happens then yeah i think chris can definitely average 20 points a game so yeah sure i'll take the over Whew, frank madden going the over again i i don't think i'm willing to do that uh, yeah, it's fair. I mean, yeah. nineteen and a half is is you know, it's for a guy playing thirty one minutes per game. That's that's not easy. Yeah, I, and I don't th- I don't think it's it honestly hasn't got as much to do with Chris as it does everyone else in the team and Bud and how many games I think they're going to win um, comfortably. And I, I think that again is going to probably impact how much he plays. As as obviously you touched on last year, uh, the minutes per game uh, numbers you. Uh, already mentioned there he played 589 less minutes in the regular season last year uh, than he did before Uh, if you're 589 (laughs) fewer minutes man i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to call eric after this podcast to complain and just say man (laughs) this is this is a tough gig with this madden guy man he's correcting my grammar all the time uh but yeah so i i will go the under um with chris and and again I think that this actually is going to be determined a little bit by how many games Giannis plays <laughs> because, mm, yeah. because he gets a significant bump in those games that Giannis doesn't play. And I, I, I always made a habit last year of when Giannis wasn't playing to go back and look at the stats. But, it, I mean, he averages like in the mid-20s, I think, points per game when Giannis doesn't play over the last two or three seasons. He really, and he's been bumped up by a couple of big games. I think he had a 40-point game there at one point as well. But uh, So I think that's going to play a factor. But with both Giannis and Chris, it's hard for me to see, particularly given the state of the East and what we sort of project is going to be maybe one of the the weakest Eastern conferences we've seen in, in the last few seasons, that it's hard for me to say, okay, well, Chris is going to get a bump up from that 32 mark to 34, 35, which as the projections per sort of 36 tell you, that would probably be enough to get him over that 20 point mark. And in the preseason, he uh, he's, he's had a hot start. I mean, he was averaging 15.3 points in just 23 minutes. I mean, uh, along with a lot of the bucks that, that put up pretty good numbers, but uh, it was interesting to see, as you said, that, he was put in situations a little bit more where they were happy to just uh, give him the ball in a, at, at the elbow and let him let him sort of shoot those mid-rangers that we know that 
generally with the guy defending him, he's going to have a height advantage. He, he can get his shot off pretty easily, and he's very comfortable taking those tough shots. It's He's one of those guys that you almost feel more comfortable with him shooting with uh, with a hand in his face. So maybe if that's something Bud leans on a little bit more, then he could get an, an extra little bump up there. But uh, I probably feel pretty comfortable that he, he's going to sit in that sort of 18 range again uh, i think you know with with all things considered and what we what we sort of expect i, I think the only other argument for it would be that um historically chris has seemed to be a slow starter and mm. last year obviously there was sort of the normal i think sort of slow start thing but then also, I mean, I think he probably had the hardest adaptation to Bud's offense as, as anyone. Um, because, again, like the, the spots that he was really comfortable in, like mid-rangers, post, those post looks. Again, not that he was, that's like his entire game. But, you know, he wasn't getting those. And there was obviously, you know, kind of leading up to that December. And it was the December game against the Knicks where, you know, he gets mm-hmm. benched and there was like some friction there, right? Which, again, I don't think it lasted very long. but. Um, but that was, you know, that was a factor. And I think, you know, I, I don't think you're going to have that this year. Right. I think, um, I think we're probably over that. Um, and so I think, you know, the good news is that he probably is going to be more comfortable in his role this year. And again, maybe, maybe the Brogdon absence means that, uh, you know, he, he has a little bit of adaptation there, but I mean, it's going to be him getting more opportunities, not, not fewer. So um, I think the only other thing I'd point out, so uh, post-All-Star break last year, just 23 games. So, I mean, again, it's not like the All-Star break is actually like a midpoint mark of the season. He played 54 before, 23 after. Um, before the All-Star break last year, 17 point, 17.1 points, 5.8 rebounds, 4.2 assists. Um, I mean, that's what he was voting the All-Star game on, which, again, is kind of cool that, you know, they – we're t- willing to tolerate a guy not averaging more than 17.1 points per game. Um, post All-Star, 21.0, 6.3, and 4.5 in, uh, 23 games. And a lot of that was just usage bump up because his, his efficiency was pretty, pretty even through both of those. So, um, so again, hopefully you tap into that earlier. Um, and to be honest, he didn't have a, he actually had a very good start last yeah. season. He averaged almost 21 points a game in October, but then November, December, January, um, just could not kind of find a rhythm, especially December, 49% true shooting, um, you know, just, just kind of, you know, wasn't hitting threes, wasn't kind of the Middleton that we're used to. So um, hopefully just a, you know, if you're going to have a season where he just avoids like kind of that, like, you know, prolonged trying to find himself self spell, obviously that, that would be a positive. But again, even if Chris does have a, a stretch like that, even with, even without Brogdon, I think you still have the depth that, yeah, you're still going to be able to play at a really high level because you have Giannis and, and obviously a lot of the other guys that can at least shoot around him. Um, but uh, again, I'm, I'm optimistic about Chris's season. Um, we haven't talked about, you know, coming off a huge contract, obviously, that that's, you know, okay. Sometimes guys take their foot off the pedal. So far, I don't think we've seen reason to expect that. He looked good in the preseason, but um, yeah, it's, that's always out there too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It was that was kind of the interesting thing I, I think with Middleton because I think it was still sort of, uh, or you know, without looking back at the numbers, it was sort of just assumed that oh well, Chris had his usual slow start, but you're right that that first seven game when they played the seven games in October, obviously they won all of those, and that was sort of like a, a honeymoon period, I guess, for the for the offense, and, and Chris was shooting over fifty percent from three, 
and then it, once the three-point shot dropped off, that's when he was sort of looking for that mid-range shot and Bud was like, eh, I'm not really willing to let you take that. And that's where I, I think, as you said, there was a little bit of friction there. But uh, from January onwards, he, he really bounced back um, pretty sharply. And I do wonder whether, he, even though he didn't play a lot, whether maybe, you know, the FIBA stuff and coming into the start of the season, maybe he's in a little bit... Uh, better game shape, I guess, or, yeah. or better rhythm coming into the season. So that will yeah. be... Which has been an issue. And he's even said it, right? That his, yeah. he hasn't always been in the best shape coming into seasons, which, you know, you expect better, but that's, yeah. that's reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the third guy that we had for this was Eric Bledsoe. And this is maybe the most difficult. I think, like, if you look at the, the who we say, okay, these are the Bucks' top three guys, uh, this one's really difficult for mine. Mostly just because of the unpredictable nature of Eric Bledsoe, I think. Uh, I think that's what makes it difficult. He had or average 15.9 last year. I've got it at 15.5. I'm pretty on the fence about this one. I'm, I'm not. This is this is a tough one to sort of read what what we should expect from from Bledsoe. Yeah, uh, it's tough. I mean, I've been uh, on the one hand, I feel like I've. I've generally been a pro Bledsoe guy or, or a defender of Eric Bledsoe at times um, the past couple of years, uh, you know, especially the year before last when there was probably more, you know, last year in a lot of ways up until before the playoffs, certainly I think there's generally really positive feelings about Bledsoe and kind of what, what he meant for this team. Um, and, you know, you look at his per 36 numbers, he's been right around 20 points per game. Um, since uh, basically like the year that he came from Houston, from uh, Phoenix, he was at 20.4 last year, 19.7. Um, but he definitely sees uh, a noticeable bump down in terms of his raw scoring average because of the amount of minutes that he plays last year, just 29 minutes per game. Um, after uh, the trade from Phoenix uh, the year before 31.5. So even under uh, Jason Kidd actually didn't play crazy, crazy minute loads. Um, so I, I would certainly expect something similar this year again. Um, and I think probably the, the one caveat there is that, well, I mean, can you, can you afford to play him that few minutes uh, without Malcolm Brogdon, right? Because you do still have George Hill, right, who can, who can take over that backup point guard spot. Um, but those guys can play together. And, I mean, George Hill's had injury problems, you know, in the last few years, I would say, as well. Maybe not, like, huge serious injuries, but – uh, like random muscle strains, things like that. I forget exactly what he had in Utah, but he missed a bunch of time in Utah as well. So um, that may have impacts on other guys in terms of positive minute bumps. Um, could also for Bledsoe or at least mitigate the chance that he plays, you know, fewer minutes. Uh, but when you look at his numbers, it feels like he had a bad shooting season last year, but uh, he shot 33%. He's a career 33.6% shooter. So, I mean, kind of was more or less in line with, what he's done kind of historically shot really poorly uh, on catching shoots was noticeably better on pull-up threes, which on the one hand, you know, you like half that equation. You don't like the fact that he wasn't hitting his spot up shots. Um, but even so career high and effective field goal percentage at 54.8, um, you know, shot 58% on two pointers last year, uh, which is crazy. He is the bucks franchise leader in two-point field goal percentage, if you if you believe that, 
<laughs> now, Giannis is right behind him. Giannis is at 55.7%. Kareem is at 54.7%. Bledsoe at 56.6%. I will hazard that by the end of the season, Giannis will have passed Eric Bledsoe. But um, that is one of those like funny sort of things where it, it may be surprising at first, but then you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, especially last year, he's only played two years here. And last year, he pretty much only took layups. He cut out you know, mid-range jumpers. Um, really didn't take that many, even if it felt like he took too many the year before. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with this one as well. Um, I guess since it's 15 and a half, I'll say that he'll, uh, I'll say that he'll stay, stay roughly around where he is. So a slight over, um, I feel like selling Eric Bledsoe is generally probably not a bad idea uh, <laughs> at this point, but um, as a longtime Bledsoe defender, I don't know. I guess somebody has to defend Eric Bledsoe, so I'll, I'll take the over yet again. Yeah, I think I'm kind of leaning towards the over as well, if anything. Uh, and I think a part of that is because, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the rotation, but, and, you know, I certainly don't want to predict that injuries are going to occur or anything of that nature. But if there's one position where I can see, and we spoke about Giannis' minutes and also uh, Chris's minutes last year and what we expect this year, if there's one position where the Bucks could find themselves a little bit short in, it's probably point guard, right? I mean, mm, if yeah. any, and, and I agree that George Hill, not only has he had some injury concerns in the past, but he is a guy that I think you really want to be careful managing i would say bledsoe is arguably the same and and clearly uh you know his status for the for the season opener is a little bit up up in the air now that's that's irrelevant to the to the issues he's had in the past but still uh you do want to be a little bit careful this guy as he sort of hits 30 uh and moves into that uh stage of his career but the two-point percentage i did not i did not know that he was the, the franchise leader for two-point percentage but i do remember last year at at some stage i'm not sure where that that finished up but he was, I mean, his restricted area shooting percentage was in the high 60s, low 70s for a major portion of the season last year. And that was part of the, the frustration, I guess, with, with watching Bledsoe, that there would be nights where he would get into the third quarter and he's only had one or two field goal attempts. Yeah, yeah, he had those weird games where he just kind of picked the spots and just didn't shoot much. And that was and right, and and those were the games where you the Bucks offense seemed to sort of sputter a little bit because even though the, he's one of the guys that that won't or you aren't totally comfortable with just firing away from three, uh, he he does play a serious role in in how the offense functions. And I think when he's getting the ball and attacking in transition, getting into the paint and either making the pass or finishing it as well as he does, then that's when the Bucks are at their best. So hopefully uh, he will remain in that uh, aggressive mode. But yeah, I think just with the balance of the rotation and, and the guys the Bucks have, uh, I can see Bledsoe getting the over here. And even when you look at last year's numbers, as you said, it, the playoffs just distort everything. I think when you think back to uh, you know how players played last season, and obviously, um, sort of the playoffs did leave a bit of a, a bit of taste in your mouth. But there was only two months that he averaged under that fifteen point five mark. Uh, he had fifteen point two in February, and then twenty seven point uh, sorry thirteen point one in in October to start the season. So he was pretty consistently over that mark. So I think I think I'll back him in with that. Yeah, and Bledsoe, so per um, 
basketball reference has his zero to three foot. So like basically restricted area at rim shooting at 72.6% last year, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously like, you know, tr- <laughs> tremendous. Um, I mean, you know, that, that's a good way to get uh, the franchise lead in, in two point percentage uh, by finishing it at that, at that rate. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, you know, kind of one of those things like that he, he got to the rim a lot. I mean, you look at, um, you look at his uh, cleaning the glass numbers. Um, he was in the 92nd percentile among point guards in his percent of shots at the rim. That was about 45% of his shots came, came at the rim. And then you look at his, um, his effectiveness. So again, the numbers depend a little bit like on what you're looking at. So cleaning the glass had him at 68% at the rim, which is the 94th percentile. Um, for point guards, which just for reference, um, that's a higher percentile than Giannis as a forward. You know, again, just because point guards are smaller, they tend to have a harder time finishing at the rim. Giannis was at 74% at the rim. He was in the 90th percentile Bledsoe in the 94th percentile at 68%. So yeah, again, like it's, 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 a, this was such a shame about Bledsoe, you know, in the playoffs, you know, just kind of leaving a black mark on that season because he had played so well up until that point. Yeah, I actually did. I did pull those numbers up. So yeah, I mean, the seventy-two percent is absolutely absurd. Clearly, uh, and it's it's interesting to look at that shot distribution as as you sort of just spoke to, and four hundred twenty-eight attempts in the restricted area or at the rim, and then four hundred forty-nine uh, from three uh, is kind of an interesting disparity there. And then he had two hundred seventy-nine. Uh, field goal attempts in between those those two marks so yeah there was certainly times last year where I was like come on man like just like get there like you can get there at, at, at all times you're shooting 70 percent like <laughs> this is this is something you should be doing a lot more but he does seem to go through those weird weird stages where he sort of just floats around and just dribbles the ball up and then gives it to someone and just stands there but uh and I guess that that's you know Kind of, kind of the way uh, Bledsoe rolls, I guess. But you know, if he stays aggressive, I, I think this could be an easy cover for him. So Frank and myself are going to leave it there for Monday's episode of Locked On Bucks. We will be back tomorrow as this three-part over and under series continues. A reminder that today's episode was brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. For Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.